This is exactly right. You open this up in a way where you try to have it so your parent, your kids can talk to you about things that I think our reaction is often to be like, well, you know, to get them in trouble, to cut, to restrict them. And we want to try to create this dialogue of openness where, um, our kids can reflect on their own behavior and feel safe enough, if possible, to talk about these things without us reacting out of either our own fear or our own anger. Happy September, people. This is the newest episode of Sitting Down with Dr. Dan's bonus episode. Every month, you know we answer your questions, so please keep sending them to us via Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, or email us at podcast at drdanpeters.com. Today, I am back in the studio with our wonderful podcast producer and mom, Laura. Hello, Laura. Hi, Dr. Dan. I'm happy to be back in the studio with you. And hello to our wonderful community. I cannot believe we're, well, when this airs, it'll actually officially be fall. So we're into another season and it's a big season in the Dr. Dan world. It's back to school, back to schedules. Yes. And, you know, kind of back to, um, you know, reality. Doing what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yes. Back to reality. Exactly. So, and um, if you've gone into some... any store, I sorry, I just have to say, if you've gone into any store, you see Halloween decorations and you say, wait, what? Is it already that time? And it isn't, yeah, but, I, but it is. That's just how it works. We blinked and here yes. we are. But I yeah. hope everyone, you know, enjoyed their summer, had some time off with family and friends. and. We have a real variety of questions today, and I'm really, really excited to hear your answers. Me too. You never know. You never know what's going to come out. I, I don't, which is why yes, I love yes. our, our listening, yeah. uh, sitting down with Dr. Dan episodes. So one thing I will say is that these all come in through either social media or direct message emails. So please you know, keep reaching out that way. And question number one, Dr. Dan. What do you think about the new study regarding teens and binge drinking and the role parents play? And I'm going to put a little note in here before Dan, Dr. Dan answers. One study or article that was cited was just in uh, usnews.com on September 15th, 2023, with a headline, Teen Drinking Much More Likely If Parents Binge Drink Study Finds. And anyone listening, if you Google, you will come upon you know this more recent study, but this is also... Um, something that's been in kind of the parenting dialogue, I would say, um, for the last couple of years, at least. So it's a it's a big one. Yes, um, it's it's a real one. And uh, it's a good question. So, uh, of course, I read the study. And here's a little overview for everyone. Um, researchers at the CDC analyzed responses from 740 parents and their children who participated in two different surveys, and they answered questions about alcohol use in the past 30 days. And among their findings was that adolescents whose parents binge drink had a four times greater chance of drinking alcohol themselves compared to adolescents whose parents did not binge drink. 
So that's okay. a, that's significant. Um, in all, 6.6% of teens drank alcohol with no significant differences related to income or social status. I'm actually surprised hmm. that the number is so low <laughs> mm -hmm. um, from my clinical experience and other uh, research that's out there. And so it also just makes me wonder, you know, if some teams were holding back because they didn't know if their parents were going to, who, who was going to find out. But that number actually right. seems, I, I'm surprised. It seems a little low. So um, drinking is, teen drinking is a problem. We know there's a lot of experimentation uh, that goes on in the teens. Yes. And um, a lot, experimentation is normal. Uh, the, the research shows, and also I'm citing some research which was summarized in the great book by Jessica Leahy, The Addiction Inoculation, where she was on our show maybe a year ago. Great episode. Yeah. Um, Great guest. We'll put that out again on social media. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll link to that on our Instagram if folks want to hear that so, interview again as well. The bottom line was um, from all of the research is the earlier teens start drinking, um, the the more at risk the child is for developing a future um, alcoholic situation or an addiction situation. Mm -hmm. And so the, all of the body of research shows also that uh, environment does play a role. Now, this is parents, we cannot be responsible for everything that happens. Our kids are at home learning from us and our kids are in the world learning from peers, uh, other people and social media. And so all we can do is try to th is think about what can we control and what we're supposed to be controlling is what we say about alcohol, what we show our kids about alcohol use, you know, how, what we model for them and how accessible it is and how permissive or restrictive and like, what is our message about underage drinking? And um, right. all of that really makes a difference. So the study found that more than half of the parents reported alcohol use and more than a quarter reported drinking frequently and more than a third reported binge drinking. Um, and wow. one and one in five held permissive attitudes towards binge drinking. So I would say like, if, if we're thinking about looking at ourselves and thinking about, you know, we want to live our own lives. And at the same time, we have to be parents. Um, if we are binge drinking in front of our kids and have positive um, feelings and uh, positive communications about binge drinking, and we're permissive about drink our teens drinking and it's available and we don't mind that's i i, I that's not the best thing to do <laughs> i would say that, like that like that's not good i'm like that is not a great message i'm right. not dr dan but i'm yes. just listening and feeling like that is sending a message and you always talk about how our kids are always watching us mm -hmm. teens included right so Okay, keep going. Yes, then yes. I have some things okay. at the end I want so to I'll bring just, up yeah, too. I definitely want to hear um, your wisdom on this. I, I'd say just to summarize what the researchers found and concluded is that this there this study adds additional support to a very large body of research, which Jessica Leahy gets into quite a bit, um, showing that parental substance use is strongly associated with child's with children's substance use. Um, and it doesn't mean like young children necessarily, all children of all ages. And that, mm -hmm. um, as we're talking about, is parents should be setting a healthy example for their children. And if they drink, 
it's important to model responsible drinking behavior. And to yes. go one step further, when I when I alluded to um, like what we say, where where we want to be very mindful of how we position and um, do PR for drinking. So, for example, oh my gosh, I had such a stressful day. I need a drink. You know that is a very common thing for parents to say. So again, no shame. It's just gosh this parenting thing, it's like everything that comes out of our mouth and everything we do <laughs> has a potential <laughs> to impact our kids. So if they learn, um, yeah, what you do after a stressful day is you have um, a double shot. You have a shot and a drink. You have a glass of wine. We just have to be mindful of how we are talking about it as a, as yes. a need and a dependency versus, oh, I'd like to have a glass of wine. And then again, the problem with drinking more and more in the evening and particularly binge drinking, not only if, if kids see that type of drinking behavior, but as, of course, one drinks more and more alcohol, one becomes less, less inhibited and less and less aware of their behavior. So then you lose the ability to monitor your behavior, monitor how you're acting and what you're thinking. So it, yes. it becomes, yes. you know, we're, so we might not be aware if someone is drinking a lot and getting buzzed or regularly drunk, you just aren't going to be as aware of what you're doing in front of your kids. Right. And for me, when I, when this question came in and you did a wonderful job of, of kind of pulling together the highlights of the study that made it, you know, really um, speak to me even you know, more deeply about the statistic around binge drinking. That's really the red flag that mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just address a tiny bit more because that is a behavioral situation that is already set up for exactly what you just said. You're not really thinking of your kids. You're not able to monitor your own behavior. You know, is if you're going to be in a situation where that is where you may end up at the end of the night, should parents be trying to kind of keep that out of the range of their kids? You know, maybe you're at a friend's house and you stay the night or you get a babysitter and you're Ubering home after the kids are in bed. I mean, I just think that it, it if children of all ages, but especially teens and maybe kids that were launching that are going uh, off to college, you know, if they're seeing this as an okay behavior and a cool thing to do, and I want to be like mom and dad, um, you know, we're getting into all kinds of issues like alcohol poisoning or, you know, other things that are happening on a college campus that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just think it's a slippery slope. And I'm just wondering, you know, should parents, if this is just a behavior that they feel like, hey, I'm doing this, this is my right. life. Right. Sometimes I binge drink and I go for it. Should there be a pause to set it up so that maybe the kids are not even exposed to it or? Um, ideally, yeah. I mean, ideally, okay. yes. And this, and yeah. saying this, we were both saying this without judgment um, to everyone is it's just being mindful of what your kids are seeing both in drinking behavior and then your behavior after drinking. So, mm -hmm. you know, lots of people have wine with dinner or have a beer or a mixed drink, you know, and, and a lot of families and a lot of cultures where it's very much alcohol is very much a part of the culture. Again, it's the difference in my mind it's a difference but it's how one is drinking and what one is modeling to your point so if one if you tend to be more of a binge drinker 
Um, and again, for a binge drinker, that that often doesn't mean you're doing this daily. It just means when you drink, you are binging and maybe drinking a lot. Um, yeah, if you can do that away from your kids, that's ideal. Okay. Because I think culturally there's been, you know, I feel like I've just seen as a parent, you know, I'm a mom to twins. They're 20 years old. I, I see things that people are kind of forcing as cultural norms, like mommy needs her wine and, you know, mm -hmm. people doing shots at Super Bowl parties and taking it to a level where, you know, parents are maybe putting themselves first to be like, well, I'm going to party. It doesn't matter that I have kids. And I'm, I'm just feeling like for me without judging, there, it's got to be a happy medium for you to keep that independence. You know, maybe you're like one of these weekend warriors that just works out on the weekend. So maybe your big drinking is something you look forward to and you have a way that you handle it and great. It's part of your lifestyle. But when you're a parent, there is a consideration of those mm -hmm. eyes on you. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I wish the study got into that a little bit more. Right. What are the solutions? Because right. I do think there is some autonomy and independence that parents want to retain. And if they, you know, they're healthy and safe, but you're not on a vacation away from your kids, <laughs> you know, they're, they're like right there seeing you stumble or watching you do, you know, your fifth shot down in the living room. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Right. Like, and that's where, I think that's where things start. We lose control and where it's not healthy for the kids to see that on a regular basis. And I would say also argue for, um, whether it's alcohol, whether it's technology, alcohol use, um, technology use, social media use, these are all things that our kids are going to be exposed to and in mo most cases be experimenting with and using. And so the idea of full restriction and abstinence, while that seems like it's, um, it's, it can be good, at the same time, how do your kids learn how to manage all of this stuff right. if, they, if they don't see it? So, you know, like alcohol is a part of our society. Um, alcohol um, and drugs are very common on college campuses. These are all things we should be talking about with our kids, um, especially, I mean, far before college. Um, right. At, for many, it starts in middle school where everyone, it's, it's, it, people get exposed to this, certainly in high school. And you want to have these open conversations about, about it, about the family. Um, if there's addiction in the family, it's, it's advised to talk about from a physiological perspective, not a shaming perspective. You know, we have these individuals in our family who struggle with alcohol or addiction, and that makes anyone genetically related more at risk for developing it as well. So we need to be really careful. And here's the things to look for, right? Like here's the things when you um, are drinking more and more and more or if you're craving it and thinking about it, or if you find yourself able to drink more than your peers, um, if it doesn't affect you the same way, if you're preoccupied by getting it, if you find yourself wanting to do it alone, like these are all things that say, hmm, this might be a problem for me and maybe I should talk, like to come talk to us, right? You open this up in a way where you try to have it so your parent, your kids can talk to you about things that... I think our reaction is often to be like, well, you know, to get them in trouble, to cut, to restrict them. And we want to try to create this dialogue of openness where, um, 
our kids can reflect on their own behavior and feel safe enough, if possible, to talk about these things without us reacting out of either our own fear or our own anger. That is very helpful. I think that's a great place to to wrap up on this question. I think um, that summarizes it beautifully. And it is this dialoguing and conversation and ability to have that communication without judgment. Mm-hmm. And right, we shouldn't be avoiding these things as no. parents. Okay, so this, this, I'm curious to hear what our listeners think, if you want to put stuff in the comments or um, send private DMs. Um, I do think this is an ongoing topic. And it every now and then there's a new study that really stops me in my track. So I'm glad we can address um, things that are more in the breaking news category through these episodes. So question number two is a total reversal of, you know, kind of the topic and even the ages. This is, uh, dear Dr. Dan, do you think Disney princesses are good or bad for my young daughter's self-image? And I'm going to say that mom of twins, one girl, one boy, and our daughter loved Disney princesses. And we tried to, you know, let her be creative with any kind of toys that she wanted to play with. And the same went for her brother. So I'm curious to hear your answer on this one. Yeah, me too. Because uh, I immediately went back to uh, <laughs> like, our kids, like, our kids growing yeah, up, dress and up. our girls loving um, Disney princesses and their Disney princess dress. Um, one more uh, in particular, and of course, um, same, our son same. loving when he was young to get into his sister's soft, uh, snuggly. Um, oh yeah, dress. You know the dresses, right? Like that's just that's what you do when dress you dress up. Dress up is so right? fun. Yeah, for any age. Yeah. <laughs> so. so okay. So again, what does the research say? And it, it's interesting. And and I think this is some really good information. So there was a um, a fairly recent uh, study out of UC Davis, and this study focused mostly on how the body type of the favorite Disney princess affects a child's body esteem. Like, how do they feel in their own bodies? Oh, my goodness. And their masculine or feminine play. So it was looking at both body esteem and gendered play uh, because those are apparently the parents' most cited concerns about Disney princesses. And what they found was whether if a princess, whether a princess was average or thin made a difference in how the children who loved them felt about their own bodies and the way they chose to play. So children whose favorite princesses had an average body like Moana, they had a higher body esteem a year later. Um, wow. And those children were also more open to exploring play that was both stereotypically masculine and feminine. And this was true for both boys and girls. So that's, very, so very that's interesting. So that's interesting. Um, now, um, so that just shows it's not absolute and that there's something there. There was a... Um, Okay, so let let me say one more thing. So in that study, the researchers said um, they also felt that um, children who had a favorite princess who had an average body was also seen as a protective effect uh, for children who love them because those were bodies like they, you know, they were more um, realistic. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those princesses also engage, many of them, the more modern princesses they talk about engage in more um, cross-gendered behavior. You know, it's not like okay. they really talked about in another study, they talked about, let me get to that study because that was interesting. This they looked at, they looked at Disney like through the years, like the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and then how more with the, the nineties, um, 
um, Jasmine and one of the favorite uh, princesses in, um, was it uh, in Frozen? I mean, like I, the, yes. the princesses yes. are starting, have become, first of all, um, more diverse, uh, which was very important. Hooray. And also yes. <laughs> um, more varied in their princess behavior, right? To the point that some of the princess behavior is not what we, we would consider of the the traditional past Disney uh, behavior. And this study, this other study found like, this is very helpful. Um, they said that overall, this study found that identifying with princesses did not result in poor body image for girls. Um, That's great. They said there, there, although there is nothing inherently wrong with expressing femininity or behaving in a gendered manner, st stereotypical female behavior may be potentially be problematic if the girls believe that their opportunities in life are limited because of the preconceived notions regarding gender. So this one is talking more about, okay, what are girls seeing with their princesses of what is princess behavior? And is it too restricted in terms of their own options about how they can be in the world? Okay. Um, okay. So I would say everyone, let me see. I had one more piece of information here. Um, they, okay, and then they concluded that many of the more recently released princesses convey some inspirational and positive messages to young girls, even if they also adhere to traditional depictions. So, guys, just like everything, I think it's mixed. I would say overall, it's to be mindful of what, like, dress up and imagining about being a princess or a prince or a knight, you know, is very much a part of imaginational growing up culture, at least in our culture. And I think this is about being very mindful of what our kids are exposed to and not overthinking it, but also being aware of, you know, who are, who, who are they dressing up as and what are our messages about them? You know, in terms of when we talk to them about how they look and what they're playing and what they're doing is do we as parents just focus on what a beautiful princess they are or, mm -hmm. or, wow, you are a strong princess. Like, wow, right. you are able to do X, Y, and Z. And again, I think it just goes back to what we are reflecting on them related to what they're seeing in their favorite princess character. This makes me feel um, like almost anything that is in the realm of play can be sort of modified and enhanced by just how we are reacting to our children. So starting from never forcing your child to have to play with any one type of toy based on, you know, mm -hmm. boy or girl or, you know, anything in between. And then reflecting upon things, like you said, using adjectives like smart and strong um, and also saying you look nice. I mean, it's, right. that's not off limits, but to, let them guide you and then to maybe just sprinkle in things that set up this play um, as having some features of being a role model. Seeing yes. the strength or you overcame this challenge and we yes. all have challenges. So that's good because I do think sometimes some of the more traditional play and things that have been around for a long time that have had to evolve, you know, reputationally, they're not always the greatest. And so mm -hmm. for parents to maybe be open-minded mm -hmm. you know, if you are feeling like you're a very forward-thinking parent and you know maybe you're against some of this traditional play well this is an opportunity to maybe 
explore how it could be okay. You know, if mm-hmm. your son or daughter is really interested in prince or princess stuff or Barbies or things like that, that there are ways to make that work for your family. So um, yes. I'm hoping that this mom or dad is feeling a little bit of relief and it's okay. Yeah. If and they want to do the princess thing yes. or the prince thing. Yes. It's okay. It's, it's okay. great. Yes. <laughs> so. And I'm just thinking again back on a couple snapshots in my mind of our girls um, coming out of their rooms in their princess dresses. And the thing that I think about is how those dresses made them feel special. And I think it's healthy to feel special, right? To like, to like feel like you're glowing. And again, it's just, what do we then say and what do we reinforce? Yes. And I think that that goes for any age. And and mm-hmm. when you were just explaining that, I'm also going back and having some of my own snapshots. And one of the things that was a thread through with all of our children's play, you know, particularly with the dress up and pretend was we always had an emphasis on things being magical, whether they were defined by magic like a harry potter wand magic or wizard of oz magic or princess magic or just something outside of all of that that there felt like there was something magical about what we were doing or creating and so that's a very neutral word you know that there's magic in this and specialness so um and those years are fleeting dr dan you you and i are time traveling back to this dress up and pretend place so there's a big element of just enjoying it and letting your kids have you know wild imaginations all right we are we're getting into all these questions today i love it we're only on number three so i'm gonna keep us moving forward this one is a social media one dr dan we are a mom and dad here and we're very curious to know um more about the tick talk trend of more names for more different types of parenting trends. How can new parents like us tune out all this noise, all this judgment and comparison to others? We recently heard of something called a scrunchy mom. Help. Yes. This makes me think about like, we've talked about gentle parenting and I think eggshell parenting and helicopter, but (laughs) have you heard of scrunchy? No. Okay. No, I have not. I wear them. I, I wear know. scrunchies. Well, I back te- from the eighties. I but. checked out that link that you sent me. So, um, and it was like scrunchy, crunchy, and something else. It's like okay, we're okay. running out of words. Yes, right. So I think it's mixed. Um, on the one hand, it is completely overwhelming the amount of parenting literature that is out there that is coming at you daily and the pressure to be amazing parents and raise healthy kids and um, kids with self-esteem and kids with skills and kids who are prepared for this world that they are moving into, which we have no idea um, what it's going to look like. Um, with all of the um, stresses and uncertainties that exist on a daily basis in our modern times. Fed to us by news and social media and technology. So the parenting feed is this nonstop. Nonstop. So I do think all of this can be completely overwhelming. And I'm going to be arguing for simplification in a moment. Now, on the other hand, the other argument is, it's a way that parents are trying to, I think, own their style that they've come up with from everything that's out there, come up with some more modern, um, modern, like just kind of like hip lingo because the yes. authoritative parent and the authoritarian parent and the permissive, I mean, that's like, 
Those are the right. big ones. The permissive parent. Um, those have been around forever um, in the literature, and those, you know, those are kind of boring names. So then there's the gentle parent. There's the helicopter parent. There's the free range parent. There, I mean, the list goes on and on. There's the nurturing parent. There's the um, the um, positive parent. Like, like there's so many. So many. So I would so say to to me as both a um, a clinician professional in the space. However, as a consumer, as a parent, what I've always tried to do is distill, like read to get a sense of what they're trying to say, see if it resonates with me. And then I just take pieces of what seems right to me and without calling, like, I think it is helpful at, for some people to have a title like gentle parenting. Okay, what is gentle parenting? Well, gentle parenting, even though the name is not a great name, which we've talked about on other episodes, but gentle parenting is, it really looks at um, respecting a child's emotions, trying to understand mm -hmm. what's behind their behavior, that their behavior is communication. Um, it, it focuses on communication and connection and it very much has boundaries and limit setting for behaviors that are unsafe and um, not consistent with the family values. So for me, it's right. like, okay, are you a gentle parent? Um, are you another name for a different kind, like authoritarian, excuse me, tative parent, which has <laughs> yes. gotten the, yeah, the most authoritarian, not so good. That's do as I say, <laughs> could be much more yeah, uh, punishment. Authoritative, which is right. why it gets confusing is more of like, I really care what you say. Um, uh, you matter. We are going to take in um, how you feel. We're going to really work to get to know you. And we are the parents who ultimately are going to call the shots and have to make some tough decisions that you may not understand. Now, again, I'm oversimplifying this. But what I want to say is to everyone, try to read enough that's helpful, but when it gets overwhelming, like walk away from it and really start to trust yourself. Like what is it that you think is good parenting based on how you were parented, right? This is very much about parent footprint, which right. is like having self-awareness about where you came from and what was helpful and what was not. And how are you doing at the promise that you said, I will never do this to my kids like it was done to me? Or gosh, I want to make sure that I absolutely do this because this was really, I really loved this as a child. And I really liked how my parents did this. And so, you know, in your heart of hearts, what feels good and what resonates. And I would say that the literature is very helpful. And now, TikTok has really, I mean, become a primary medium for us getting lots of information. I mean, research-based and um, non. And so be kind to yourself and um, try not to get too caught up with all the labels because they really all are saying very similar things just with different language in my experience. Well, as a twin mom, I want to just add that if a particular label makes you feel a sense of community and identity and you know you're seeking it out for healthy reasons that's very empowering but at the same time when things get overwhelming questioning do i even need a label can i be in this gray area i as you said sort of picking and choosing what works for you looking at the legacy you want to leave what you want to pull from your own parenting experience when you were a child and then how you want to parent your children. But I do think there is 
something I see more and more with parents feeling as if they have to have one label with their parenting style and that mm -hmm. everything has to have a name. Mm -hmm. And I think we're both here to say that that's not necessarily true. If, mm -hmm. it, if it is making your parenting journey more fulfilling and more community-based and it's helping you kind of seek out um, the style that you, you want to you know, continue to strengthen with how you're raising your children. That's great, but it, it is not required. No, it's not. So if someone asks you, so what kind of parent are you referring to all these labels and you don't really have one, you could just <laughs> right. look at them and say, a really good one. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, um, a loving parent. Yes. I am a loving yeah. parent. Yes. So right. oh, I, I agree. I like that. I like that. Thank you. I yeah. just think there's a lot of pressure on new parents. That's the, I felt that really yes. deeply when I read this question. Yes. Um, and you don't know. You're not yes. sure how to make sense of all the yeah. things you're supposed to be figuring out. Yeah. So, Wait, okay, and, we have two sorry, more questions. One last oh, thing. sorry. No, no, sorry. Spoiler alert, because you just said um, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on new parents. Spoiler alert, there's a lot of pressure on parents the whole way through. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes. yes, yes. I think it's a little, not easier, but you're more yeah. used to having to figure out yeah. how to pull and pick and choose. But in the beginning as a new parent, True. at least for us with twins, everything had equal weight. Yes. So I wasn't sure if knowing if I was a scrunchy mom was as important as... Um, you know, knowing like certain milestones around tummy time. I was like, yes. do I have to do all of these equally? Yes. So that that's what I meant. It's never easy, but it's always worth it. <laughs> so, all right, two more questions. I'm going to swap them. So the last one we can just have a little um, improv on. So the next question is, what age do children know their sexual orientation? Is it something that kids or teens recognize with little doubt from a very young age? Our son is in middle school and asking questions a lot about this particular subject and we want to be supportive, but we also don't want to pry. Great question and great approach. So um, historically, it's been thought that kids really start to um, get in touch with their sexuality and um, their sexual identity and all of the normal questions that come with it. And I want to say the normal questions, like it's typical for teenage for adolescents pre-adolescents to really question as they're having these different feelings and seeing these different people and having different um, attractions and being uh, curious and confused and sometimes um, uncomfortable with however their body is feeling in certain situations so middle school has always been a very st standard time however more and more we are seeing that kids can come um start to become aware of their sexuality um, earlier, age eight, nine, and 10. And there are many who um, grown up will tell you that, oh yeah, they always knew. They always knew that they had different feelings for um, and, and felt different sexually. And so I think if I'm reading also into this question is like, yes, it's very, um, very, common that your child would have these questions or these um, awarenesses at this age, if not even younger. And it is very normal to be questioning at this time and to be able to provide a non-judgmental open platform for everything from um, friend choice to dress um, to the way he or she might be talking about in different people 
is it's like that is what is recommended is this non-judgmental space, particularly where these kids have uh, all all forms of their identity are um, in formation and in questioning at at this middle school age. That's very reassuring, Dr. Dan. I also took that from this question that yes, this is absolutely typical um, at this moment, you know, in your child's uh, school career. And you know, my memory again. I'm not the doctor here, but middle school is when a lot of these children are encountering things like dances or mm-hmm. people talking about first crushes. It, it's just a little bit more in the culture um, once they leave elementary school. And I do believe absolutely that some individuals know and they, they've always known that there is stuff that happens towards the end of elementary school as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's maybe just talked about a little more openly in middle school. I think it's just kind of out there in the culture more. Right. This parent or the set of parents feel um, to me like they, they're, they're really respecting their child mm-hmm. and their son and mm-hmm. wanting a little bit of reassurance that, okay, yes, this, this is when this would be happening and just, yes, you know, yes. That, and their son Let is their son, and their son's asking questions, a lot of questions about the subject. That is amazing, right? Like I know, I know. This is often an age, unfortunately, where kids also can go quiet and become internal from mm-hmm. you, like overnight, right? It's like, wait, 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 what just happened? Like we used to, I know. Right? we used to cuddle and read together, and now you're like going to your room and closing your door, and closing the door, yeah, exactly. And, um, that doesn't happen with everyone, but it happens. It, a lot. And, um, so that your son is still talking to you, gosh, any way you can continue to grease that, um, that track would be, is wonderful. Very cool. And I'm going to, um, repeat Dr. Dan advice from past episodes, which is, this is a great situation where letting your son kind of lead some of these conversations is going, going to really be beneficial for all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, These questions are incredible. And then the last one is fun. So we can riff a little bit. Are there any parenting podcasts you might suggest as a compliment to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan? (laughs) I'm going to say that question's for all of us today. Yes, it is. uh, So many podcasts, so little time, but there are a few that we love. Yes. So I'm going to mention a few that are... um, Friends, friends of the show and people we um, respect and admire, colleagues. So there is Tilt Parenting with uh, friend and colleague Debbie Reber. Great stuff. Um, she's been doing this for a long time, has great mm-hmm. information, so approachable, such an awesome human, um, which makes me think of another one, which is Raising Good Humans with Hunter yes. Clark Field. She has two great books. She was on the show recently. And just like it sounds, she's all about just how do we raise good human beings? And she also is just so approachable and real and all like so authentic. Um, yes. Just like um, actually one of the, <laughs> the beginning, my next one, they're like the, in my mind, like the beginning um, successful, big, parenting podcast in the space way early on. And that's Zen Parenting with Cassie and Todd Adams. I mean, they've been doing it for so long and their approach is also completely authentic and real. Um, It just helps you feel like you're just 
a regular human being in the joys and the struggles of parenting. And I really like how they riff off of each other because, of course, they have different approaches to many situations and they they discuss them. Um, yes. So those are those would be the big three that are on my list right now. Those are great ones, Dr. Dan. And they do, you know, we all kind of align, you know, yes. tilt parenting, raising good humans and Zen parenting. They're, they're a nice sort of complementary playlist, if you will. Um, and I was just going to add a few more. Um, so I'm the producer of our podcast. So I listen to so many podcasts. It's really hard for me to pick favorites. I like large ones, small ones, new ones, old ones. Um, but there's one that stands out to me that is just really unique and fun with a capital F. And that's called the Brooker Family Popcast. So this is a podcast and also a video um, cast or video podcast. And we had them on our show. It's a husband and wife, Heather Brooker and her husband, Chris. And they actually do their show with their daughter, Channing. Mm-hmm. And it's really like the parenting piece is just this natural vibe that you kind of witness. But they're talking about pop culture, family entertainment, fun things, you know, just news. And it, it's funny. Heather is really generous. She's a huge fan of our show. She's really positive. She has a, a wonderful career um, acting and comedy. And they, they're they just kind of a bright light in this space yes. for fun. Yes. Um, there's a newer podcast that I am really interested in checking out. And I just added to my own playlist. It's called Parenting for the Culture. And the host is Cherie Sims. So I'd love to report back on that. And maybe at some point we think about maybe every month or two, we talk about what we're listening to. Maybe we want to add that as a feature mm-hmm. of our bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the very last one, this is kind of a mom thing and a Laura thing. Um, you were talking about you know the idea of anxiety and worry and you know just the things that mm-hmm. parents are dealing with on their own and how we're modeling stuff for our kids and dealing with our own journeys and histories. So mm-hmm. there's a show called 10 minutes to less suffering. <laughs> and the disclaimer is my friend is the host. Her name is Allison Carmen. She's also an author and a life coach. And she does a lot of work um, in kind of the women's healthcare space. And this is a short form podcast. So I like these sometimes in my daily schedule because they're, they're quick. They're a few minutes long and she just picks a topic like worry or, you know, ruminating on a thought. And it's a, just her soothing voice. And it's 10 minutes to kind of having you almost breathe through what you're going through and move on with your day. So it feels like a little mini meditation yeah. with a topic. Who, and so, and, who would not give 10 minutes for less suffering? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, and, and it's not always like yeah. that word suffering, but just, you know, if things are a little challenged, go, you know, scroll through her playlist every now and then, um, you know, I feel like I need to listen to more than one, but it's usually just a nice quick listen and she's got a huge heart. And is a great parent. So I wanted to nice give a little shout out to her. And of course, listeners, we want to know what else you're listening to. So put it in the comments on any of our social, or um, if you think you know a great podcast and we should be interviewing that host, yes. send us a DM or an email, podcast at uh, com. We love your suggestions. We love the interactive uh, relationship we have with you. And our, you know, our listening community really drives what we do on all our episodes, but particularly the bonus episodes. So thank you. Yes. Thank you all. This format is possible because of you and your questions. So please keep them coming. Thank you for listening to our weekly show on Thursdays, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. And of course, 
listening today and always to the bonus episodes, which drop the last Tuesday of each month, all in your regular feed. You can subscribe on the Wondery app to hear all the bonus episodes and our podcast ad-free. And of course, follow us at, at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter, I guess now X, at Dr. Dan Peters. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for your five-star reviews. And I have to say the ending, which you know what it is, which is do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question. I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.